Welcome to Bonehead. We've been off a week. I apologize. I uh, went, well, let's uh, let's take a let's take a small I'll, moment. I, I want to talk about what just yeah. happened. Yeah. How many times have we done this and we've done it from Zoom? Not and this is also counting the but the fun sizes we do for Good Movie Monday. Uh, the last two years. How many times do you have a problem hitting the record button? <laughs> Every damn time. I've got another question. You're going to Every tell time. these people that you've been off. Let's just let's just lay the cards on the table as an intervention. Sure. Joe was in rehab. He's been chasing the dragon. You're thinking I'm using a drug reference. No, there's an actual dragon. Joe has to chase. It's listen. It's actually one of those. Hold wizards. on. Can I can I make one lame joke? Yeah. Fuck Pete. Oh, I was gonna say he was. I was gonna say Pete Dragon's butthole is sitting there crying like a baby. Okay, funny story. I'm pretty. I don't sure know, I James. Original... It wasn't what it was gonna come. That's what just came out. I'm sorry. I, I'm pretty sure I saw the original Pete's Dragon when I was a kid, but I don't really remember it, and I've never seen the other one. So I, I'm gonna. I've never I, no, no, no. I'll Pete's defend Dragon. the other one. I won't, that defend, guy, I won't defend either one. Both of them are I, terrible. No, no. Well, the original has a couple mute songs in it, and I have a soft spot for it because I used to be able to watch it. Now that being said, when um and fights them supers and one of them's a dragon that's a good time so we were we were on vacation <laughs> was, carl urban's in it right he's in the remake i still say we need to talk about joe not being able to hit the record but we're, well, <laughs> well he's I chasing also, the dragon i also was couldn't figure out where the sharing button was either and i do it at work all the damn time of where the mm. hell was that at again uh by the way so we were gone so uh -oh. sorry for that we missed a week i did i've looked at our numbers we just talked about our numbers i don't know where you guys went uh but you sure were listening last year more than this year Are, you guys must be traveling you can listen to us in the car the kids could learn a lot from which is, us which is why we're picking a topic that is so popular today in pulp culture that it's just going to send a bunch of people away from this podcast because we're doily like complete idiots <laughs> so we're Chad, going to finally get into the history of doilies this this was my idea and I, it's just been on my mind so much because my kid has two obsessions. One of them is Ghostbusters and the other. And then finding his, his real father. And then finding his real father. Oh. And then maybe, may, just maybe, the <laughs> next time he leaves, he'll leap back into <laughs> his real parents' home. I don't know how Joe found the one remaining milkman in the entire United States. <laughs> I found, well, you mean how Christy, you mean how Christy found the one. No, no, no. I mean how you found him and then Christy found him. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have any part of this. So I Spider-Man. I love Spider-Man. Yeah. And I've had to endure those movies over and over now for the last few months. And I we read the books, we talk about the characters. I get to do these comic cons and talk to people about it because I don't read a lot of comic books. And I Spider-Man is just as more is more popular now than ever. Spider-Man, no way home this this December in the middle of a COVID surge, right? Yeah. Of an Omicron COVID surge made one and a half billion dollars. Yeah. Not million, Billions. billion worldwide. Am I close on that? I haven't, I actually haven't learned. I don't know the totals, but it was, it was, it was, it was, it was past, but remember yeah, it was yeah, past. Yeah. We're talking about Star Wars, Rise of the Res or whatever. <laughs> forgot, the, forgot the name of the first Star Wars movie. <laughs> Just making stuff up now. <laughs> yeah, death of the blah, 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 blah. Anyway, I mean, incredible numbers in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. Spider-Man is huge. 
And I want to talk about it because I don't know that I know all of the history. Now, Chad, you said Spider-Man was created in 1962? 1962, but where James wants to cover some stuff before we get into 1962. Real, real quick, who is it? 1.9 billion worldwide, by the way. 1.9 billion. James, I got a question for you before we get into the history, though, because Spider-Man's in my top 10 of comic book heroes, and that I am I am merging Marvel and DC. I don't know if I, I probably won't give you that list today, but I have a prefer DC over Marvel. I do prefer DC over Marvel, except for the, except, except for the exception of, of Spider-Man and Iron Man. Um, Spider-Man and, and all the cool. No, ones. I was going to say, and then a few, a couple X-Men and then also uh, Hawkeye, but um, I've always don't get chanced on his love of forge. I've always loved Spider-Man. He's always been in my top 10. James, has he always been one of your personal favorites or not? Oh, he was the first comic, the first superhero comic. Uh, I owned other comics before that. There were movie adaptions, Indiana Jones, stuff like that. But the first superhero comic I got my hands on was an early, early, probably in the first 10 issues. Uh, I think it was The Web of Spider-Man. I still have it. I sealed it in plastic because it, it, it changed my world. It really did. I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. And And I think... Uh, and we'll get into this, obviously, but I think it's because Spider-Man's life sucks. I mean, it doesn't matter what's going on. And that's one of. Go ahead. Sorry, he, he doesn't have a good day. He, I no. mean, he'll have a good day. I said there's always, good oh, day, Spider-Man. This. Yeah, it's kind of in, and so it's just more identifiable. Yeah, because that's the one thing I was kind of, you know, and I agree. That's the whole reason why I think Spider-Man's popular because if you look at it. His powers are kind of lame. He can, crawl, he can, he can, crawl. He can crawl on walls. He has a sixth sense. And he, can he has a Peter powers. Tingle. And he has a little bit of super strength. Um, compared, depends compared, on what you're looking well, at. Depends on the movie, actually, of how much super strength he has. I agree. But yeah, it's all, but, but you that, know, that's I, every I, superhero movie yeah. you, you look at. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think that's one of the things that really and and so that kind of leads into what we'll be talking about a little bit is that spider-man almost didn't happen um because of the people in control of marvel comics at the time one person in particular yeah we'll get into him but you're gonna go you're gonna go a little before 1962 if i'm not mistaken yeah 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 so so a little bit so marvel which by the way i have no idea how you're going before 1962 so i'm just going to sit down for the ride and stop talking because i just i don't know where james's mind goes past the the actual creation of the character (laughs) if there's books like this my old beat up copy the origin marvel comics by stan lee and as you can tell it's an old book i got this at half price books i found it and it was actually three bucks and i was like i'm taking it home because it's hard to find uh it's actually relatively easy to find but it's hard to find an older copy of it uh that being said um marvel comics stan lee is linked forever to marvel comics up until and actually even after his passing but that wasn't obviously always the case martin goodman was born mo goodman uh, started going by Martin, he lived until 1992, but he was originally the editor of what would become Marvel Comics. He worked in pulp, pulp comics, pulp books, pulp everything. And so he published pulp magazines, paperbacks, men's adventures, magazines, you know, comic books, and he would launch what would eventually become, obviously, Marvel Comics, but it started out as timely. 
And so going back in 1933, he was working for Louis Silberkleit, which, by the way, sounds like it could be a villain's name in a comic book in and of itself. And he formed a partnership with, and I'm not making any of this up, look it up, the Shade. Uh, so the Shade Brothers, Louis Silbercott, and they, they started what was called Philadelphia Newsstand Publications. Eventually, it would end up becoming uh, another company, but they ended up, uh, so it was taken over by Goodman by himself because he paid off a debt to W.F. Hall. Silberkleit and somebody else, Coyne, joined John L. Goldwater to form Archie Comics. So Marvel Comics and Archie Comics, actually at one point, the people behind them were working at the same place. Useless trivia. Now that being said, his business strategy was basically, let's make money. I'm going to put out whatever it takes. We're going to constantly publish something. So he started doing whatever was the hit at the time. All, all-star adventure fiction, complete Western was actually one of, that was one title. Um, Mystery Tales was another one that he published. Uh, Real Sports, Star Detectives, Science Fiction Magazines, and the Science Fiction Magazine he called Marvel Science Stories. And it featured an early Tarzan, Tarzan-like character Tarzan. named... Tarzan. Tarzan. Uh, Tarzan-like character named Kazar. Timely Comics become the umbrella for his entire comics division. And eventually, of course, it evolves into Marvel Comics. Joe Simon becomes the first editor. 1939, Marvel Comics number ones hit, hit the newsstand with the old Human Torch, which was an android, was and an android, a reprint yeah. of Bill Everett's Namor the Submariner. By 1941, Timely started to publish the work of Simon and Kirby. Let's, I'm just really hoping James is somehow point starts talking about the wizard again and how 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 such a great comic book character he was. In reality, he sucked. What? So anyway, it was the invaders. So during the war, Joe, there were all these heroes, right? You had <laughs> Captain America. Well, Captain America, before the Avengers, completely left out of the Marvel Comics universe, which is actually a shame. You had the invaders. The invaders were the superheroes that you dropped behind enemy lines, led by Captain America. That's why he was a captain. Like the Dirty Dozen? Yeah. And they went to fight Hitler. That was the invaders. And the wizard ran fast. That He was one of those characters. Got his powers from being bitten by a mongoose. And, <laughs> it, and Joe, you obviously don't remember our first live show because I went on a tangent about the wizard. I, well, no, Chad, I don't. I, yeah. That's another, that's a, I just don't. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Captain America. I love it when I get those questions and I go, no, uh, it sounds good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> Captain America, created by Simon and Kirby, runs from 30 to 9. But in 1941, Simon and Kirby both go, nope, we're done oh, with Oh, man, time. we're still we 20 talk. years away from actually talking well, about Spider-Man. It's going to go really fast here. <laughs> okay, okay. They walk away. So Goodman realizes, oh, crap, I just lost my talent. And I want to make money dollars. So what am I going to do? What well, turns out that he had a, allegedly a cousin, a somewhat, maybe a second cousin, uh, I'm sure there's somewhere that will give you the full information. I do not have that. I just found that it was a cousin who was working in publication but didn't really want to be linked to comic books named, well, he went by Stan Lee. 
So he goes, he appoints Stan Lee as Tom Lee's editor. And of course, Stan Lee effectively never leaves. He does eventually leave. But post-war, all of a sudden, there's a lessening interest in superheroes. After the invaders start to be forgotten. All these comics start to be forgotten. The war is over. People are wanting action comics. They're wanting, but they're not wanting these superheroes anymore. Um, so Tom Lee, for a brief period of time, goes by Atlas Comics. They do, you know, global stuff. But then in 1961, they're, they're slowly eking along. Stan Lee uh, is, is still the editor, but it's not overly going great. And all of a sudden, Mr. Goodman, um, basically, he's playing golf. And he's playing golf with uh, one of those publishers of that other company that Chad talked about. And that other company is seeing a resurgence in a certain type of comic. That would be the superheroes. And right. Chad, what is the team that they have? The, you're talking about the Justice League? The Justice League. The Justice League is selling. It's outselling all these Western comics that Goodman has been pushing Stan Lee to get out. So he goes back to Stan Lee and he goes, I want you to create a superhero team. Stan Lee goes, hooks up with Jack Kirby, the artist, and says, we I've been told I have to create a superhero team. That gives us the Fantastic Four. And Stan Lee, as he often did, and actually I should say before Pete Bonchali, if Pete Bonchali sees this, he always says Stan Lee gets too much credit. Jack Kirby deserves equal credit for the way these characters were created. I should say that. Yes. But effectively, the two of them and whatever bullpen was going on at the time of other authors and talent basically go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Justice League has all these secret identities. Our superhero team won't have any of that. They're just going to come out and say, hey, I'm Reed Richards. I'm Mr. Fantastic. Right? I'm, we're not going to do that. And they're going to be a family. They're not going to be people that come together and then go off on their own separate adventures. They're going to be a family. And that was what the Fantastic Four was. Well, not surprisingly, that was a huge success. Right. And Marvel Comics sales started to go up. And he goes back and he, he says, hey, uh, why don't you do that again? Create something else. And he does. He creates the Jekyll and Hyde character, the Incredible Hulk. And that goes over well. And you would think Stan Lee and Jack Kirby are going to go back and say, man, we got it. He's going to let us do whatever he wants. And that's what they thought, too. And they go back and they're like, we've got this character. We got this idea. He's, he's going to be a teenager. He's not an adult. He's going to be a teenager. He's going to get powers. And he's not going to want to be good at first. He's going to learn a lesson that makes him become good. Effectively, the great power with great responsibility. And, of course, Martin Goodman looked at it and went, no, you're not going to do that. That's a stupid, stupid idea. And Lee and at that time, Kirby go, what? What, what do you mean it's a stupid idea? We've broken all the conventions of that other company and had success breaking those conventions. Why don't we have a teenage superhero? And this literally is Martin Goodman's list of reasons why not. People hate spiders. Yeah. Teenagers can only be sidekicks. A superhero shouldn't have any problems other than, of course, crime. Mm -hmm. He should be handsome and glamorous and always popular. And so Goodman basically effectively tried to veto their idea. Now, Kirby was originally working on what would become Spider-Man. And if you go back and read the history of this, Stanley, because he had had great success working with Kirby, Fantastic Four, Hulk, all that stuff, he wanted to continue that. 
However, if you read the history of it, Kirby's original ideas that he worked with Stan Lee on, according to several sources, were very, very different. And he was trying to keep Martin Goodman happy. And this is a Spider-Man we almost got, which is going to sound very much like a Fawcett publication. Kirby created a five-page story about a teenager who had a magic ring that when he needed to would turn him into an adult hero called Spider-Man. By the way, Spider-Man was also Mosquito, almost Mosquito Man. Um, they couldn't use Bug Man. That was already copyrighted. So at that point, it's it still getting vetoed by Goodman. Stan Lee approaches Steve Ditko, another artist. Ditko ends up being the artist that works, redesigns the Spider-Man character, makes it the teenager that we all know. And Martin Goodman finally says, listen, there's this magazine that's failing, Amazing Fantasy. I'll give you the last 11 pages. Nobody's going to care about this. Nobody, I don't like the story. Nobody's going to care about a teenage superhero. You get 11 pages, publish it there. We're canceling that magazine soon anyway. And that's how it first appeared. Well, he stands, went on record, well, not anymore, but went on record many times going, he was going, I mean, you wouldn't even tell people that what he did for a living and make something else up. Yeah, he, no he would say he's wanted, in books. He would say in he's publishing. in books and publishing because no one wanted to be a comic book writer and he was tired of it. And he was done. And then his, it was his wife who encouraged him and said, well, if you're going to quit, write one the way you'd want to write it, right? And, and by the way, so when this when this 11 pages finally gets sees its print in Amazing Fantasy, and it ended up being more than 11 pages, uh, Amazing Fantasy was on its final issue. It was going out. It yeah, ended up final becoming- Final Fantasy number 15. Yep, it ended up becoming their biggest selling book yep. of that entire year. And of course, at that point, Martin Goodman swallowed his pride and said, you know what, guys, I think I think we should give this spider fellow another look. And mm-hmm. that that put the wheels in motion. And uh, um, again, th- th- that also led to a, a ton of different feelings across history. And again, Pete Von Charlie, who we've had on the show before, uh, has, has publicly said he has some issues with Stanley, and it is true. Stanley got a lot of credit for a lot of what other people did as well. But it also, that decision obviously affected the relationship of Lee and Kirby. It affected, obviously, Ditko, got a lot of attention that Kirby was getting. And eventually, Kirby would go to work for that competitor that Chad preferred. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he would come back and work for Marvel. He basically became a freelance over time uh, until, unfortunately, he passed away at. Well, he's pretty cool. I do, by the way, I love, if you ever get a chance, kids, Google, or don't Google, YouTube Jack Kirby. And if you can find Jack Kirby talking about how you should handle Nazis, it is one of the, I mean, there's there's a video of him in his, I think he's in his 70s. And somebody says something about, you know, you, you drew Captain America punching Hitler before America got involved in the war. Was that okay? And, and his response usually is a couple different interviews where he brings it up, but he goes, listen, I'm all for anybody that will punch a Nazi in the mouth. <laughs> I love that line. It, but anyway, um, but the, so that Martin Goodman almost killed what actually ended up in right. some ways saving his company. Because and so that's the story I wanted to tell because it really is fascinating to think that had the editor had Lee and Kirby, given Kirby is due, and Ditko just uh, went, ah, the editor says no, and backed down, we might not have got that character. At least not not the way in time that we did. And then, of course, you know, you know, Stan Lee says he got his inspiration for this character because he saw a fly climbing on a, climbing up a wall. That's what he said for years. 
but I think in his autobiography, it actually says that after that, he, he does not even know if that's true anymore. He just told it so many times that he thinks that that's where the origin came from for the character. And let's pause right there and talk about yeah. memory. And uh, there's a phrase that I like, and it's called basically rearranging the furniture and how memory goes. And, and sometimes people remember things differently than other people and no one's lying. Yeah. Yeah. And no one's lying. A good example of this is Robert England talking about <clears throat> giving Mark Hamill the script to Star Wars because they're roommates, right? Have you guys ever heard this? Robert England does this a lot at conventions. Well, the problem is, is yeah, they were roommates. They did know each other. But Mark Hamill's like, for years, I have let him tell this story. And finally, someone asked him on a radio and he goes, he dines out on this story. And I, I, and I get it, but it's just not true. We all had the script of Star Wars. They, they, there's everybody in town auditioned for the damn thing. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't just get me in that. It didn't come in as like, oh, I'm going to go audition for this now. And I became Luke. There was three different sets of three people. They, they didn't go with just one. Like we'll put Harrison here, and we'll have uh, is it Cats here or whoever. It was like yeah. they're going to do these three or these three or these three. People rearrange things, and then you tell it so often. Just like Chad's like, you just, it is the truth. You poke you up to a lie detector and it's the truth. I don't remember a lot of our episodes. Most people don't remember what they did on their own work three weeks ago. Well, no, we, no, could it's, so, it's, we could so go off Spider-Man and go into the current political environment, but we're not going to do that. Well, no, but I was about to say, going back to actually, and, and, and what I do love about, and I, I am a bigger Marvel fan than I am DC. And I think one of the challenges for me as DC is that the characters are so... Batman probably the least so, but the character is so rigid. Like it's hard to do a Superman story where you're worried about Superman, right? Yeah, and, and you know, honestly, other than other than Green Lantern, all of my favorite DC heroes are you know lower level who again they're don't schlubs. Have they're people yeah. you can see. Like yeah, it's yeah. like oh that's but yeah, booster it's gold. Booster gold. It's it's um the question but, the creeper. You know, I think the question. Hmm. What is the question? He's just a private. It's, uh, it's, it's where you ask something looking for information, Joe. Oh, he's What's just a private. He, he's a private detective who wears a mask that looks like he has no facial features. It's it's pretty. He's a pretty cool character, in my opinion. So Rorschach. No, Rorschach. It changes. Yeah. He just. <laughs> Question uh, came first. Uh. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, Watchmen, because originally they wouldn't let. Alan Moore do what he wanted to do with yeah. established DC and wasn't character. the question going to wasn't Rorschach going to be the question I believe so and because Owlman it was going to was be going an to entire be, Batman yeah, yeah. kind of thing and they yeah. said you can't do that with Batman you and Night Owl was going to be Blue Beetle yeah yeah but you know one of the things though going back to this you've got to understand and I think that's you know the fact that these publishers yes they were competitors but they played golf together I mean some of the muckety mucks were playing golf together. and I mean I think it's important when you said earlier bullpen yeah if i've learned nothing else from my side gig over the few years that bullpen is really important the fact that i'm here frank miller's down here and then we end up having a conversation and we talk through something and then frank goes and writes it or i go and write it that there's a bullpen of different people in different rights. So, for well, example, there's the shit that we've done. Most of the time we can look at it and go, well, that sounds like the other one. It sounds like me. But, I mean, 10 years later, could you go back and say for certain? Well, I mean, and we've talked about this before because I, I love Man-Thing 
and Man Thing and Swamp Thing, the guys that created those lived. I mean, they were and it's kind of that I, Mark Hamill story. I prefer Swamp Thing. He's again, he's in the. Uh, well, he might I prefer. Be in the top, now, I'd have to think about it. He might be in the top ten for me as well. I prefer Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. Does that make sense? Like yeah. when Alan Moore took it over and made it Swamp Thing, when it wasn't just a generic. Rah, that's fascinating. That is yeah. a great storyline. Uh, but yeah, no. Anyway, but I mean. Everybody's like, well, which one came first? And it's like, well, technically Marvel copyrighted Man Thing first. I'm like, yeah, but if you talk to the creators, they were like, yeah, we both were sitting around going, oh, I'm supposed to create a muck monster. <laughs> oh, yeah, how are you doing it? Well, mine's going to do that. Okay, that sounds cool. You yeah. know, I, but anyway, uh, to that level, though, you also have to play Spider-Man in that context, right? Yeah. Because w- where does Spider-Man work, at least in the beginning? He sells photos to a, a, a newspaper. Mm-hmm. That is a commentary on, again, all they did was take Clark Kent. Clark Kent was, he was mild, he was meek, but yeah. he was also Superman. But right. he was well-liked at the Daily Planet. He was not going to be laid off. He was well-respected by Perry White, et cetera, et cetera. Does Spider-Man get that? No. He gets J. Jonah Jameson, which may be one of the greatest anti-heroes that doesn't have a power, doesn't do anything else, but has complicated that hero's life more than anything else and by the way i don't care if it's in the cartoons or in the films or in the comics that is a great character i agree yeah. because oh, I he's agree. not a villain perry white is heroic jj jay jonah jay jameson is not but he's not he's a villain a either. he's a capitalist yeah and he wants that and, and so you know and he's <laughs> the, the, one of my favorite and by the way uh why am i blacking on the actor what's his name uh, uh whiplash hey simmons J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons does it great because I love that entire, I know, fruit basket. We'll send you a fruit basket. Yeah, that that entire, we're going to, whatever. But if you put that in the context of what was going on in Superman comics where, oh, he's a reporter, he's an ace reporter. Yeah, he's mild, he's meek, he's, he's, you know, a commentary on humanity, whatever, do the entire Kill Bill line. But Spider-Man doesn't get that. Spider-Man doesn't have an employer that's supportive. He gets, oh, we're not even going to hire you. You're going to do everything freelance. Best of luck. You better get a good photo. Or Aunt May ain't going to get her meds, and she's going to die, and that's on you. Well, and the cool thing is, and and we're going to hop between this and some movies, and we'll get to the movies more later. They actually do put a scene in the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man, and it's throwaway, and it wasn't until I've had to rewatch it so many times that I realized he defends Peter Parker when the Green Goblin picks him up and he goes, they just come in the mail. mail. I yeah. don't. He's defending Peter Parker. He is watching out. Well, and the, you now see that online, right? They put that scene online. They're like, what ha- What you do under stress proves who you really are. And, yeah. and that is very much true. Like, I've J. never J. seen that online before. Well, no, I, I, also I think, never even paid attention to it. Well, so. see, Jay Jonah, he's not really, I don't think he's defending Peter Parker as he is a tried and true journalist. You protect your sources you don't really, really i think he's just defending somebody who works for it no i, I really i really you know if you look at jay jonah jameson and other because i don't like, think of him as a like the animated muckraker muck well no he started out as a journalist though he's all about the news even though he is a muckraker he he's all about depending on which version you're looking at that's sometimes, the thing that we got to get sometimes to. sometimes it's all about and, and and again it's all about it's all about which version of Jonah you're looking at. And James, back you can back me up or correct me. No, no, there's some where he's looking at ratings. There's some where he's looking about selling papers. And then there's some where he's just, this is not who how life is supposed to be. There's not supposed to be a man exactly. in a mask swinging by and- Without create, repercussions. Without repercussions. Yeah. He, he's he, right, that was, 
Hmm? One of, well, right, I was going to say, and that's it. Yeah. That's why J. Jonah Jameson is a fascinating character because one of the things, like J. Jonah Jameson has a son who eventually becomes, you know, a Spider Man villain in his own right. Yeah. And then a hero in a way. But anyway. It's one of the dumbest names in comic, again, one of those dumb names in comic yeah. books. What is it? Yeah. Tell everybody in case they don't. James. Know. Is it Moon Wolf? I thought it was Man Wolf. Man Wolf. You're right. It's Man Wolf. Bear Moon Wolf, Wolf is, is a different Bear character. Sadly, sadly, there's a lot of blank wolf name just like batman has a villain named man, man bat. bat but he actually tur- he's actually a bat he actually turns into a, a bat yes why isn't he batman because that name was taken that would be because, because it's, hold on once again let me let me do a throwback to an old old episode. by who spider-man I would say much. Let me do a throwback to it. No, much. He's in that same line with the 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 creature from Jeepers Creepers trying to get his license plate for be eating you. He gets up to the counter and goes, "I'd like to register the name Batman." And, oh, that name's taken, man. By who? That billionaire over there, cursing capitalists. Anyway, um, how we still haven't gotten into the history. The most unbelievable part of that movie is not him flying; it's him being able to start that truck that's been setting for twenty some years. <laughs> I said the custom tags still get the custom anyway, tags are it's a fun thing. Jay, don't it's, think yeah, it. it doesn't matter. No, it's 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 popcorn entertainment. But J. Jonah Jameson in the comic, one of the things that is a great storyline for him that makes him a compelling character is like he gets really upset because his son's an astronaut. Yeah. Who did how much years of training, how much years of blah 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 blah. And eventually Spider-Man has to save him. Something goes wrong with the launch, et cetera, et cetera. That being said, one of his arguments in the comic is, my son trained, my son did this, my son is a national hero, but who gets the credit? The guy that won't even tell us who he is. This guy that could be anything. He could be, you know, the comics were written in the 60s. He could be a communist. He could be a blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. He won't reveal who he is, whereas my son has to, before we'll let him do anything. There's background checks, there's security, there's all that stuff. And that is, I mean, as Joe said, that's a valid point. And, you know, th- this is one of my favorite J. Jonah Jameson moments in comics. Um, one of my favorite comics is the New Avengers. Uh, we won't go into that because, but Spider-Man is a member of the New Avengers. We, I don't know if we'll get into that in the history of this, but they decide to go public that they are the new, this is the new team. This is the new team of the Avengers and they know they're going to have a problem with Jonah. So Tony Stark and uh, Tony Stark invites Jay Jonah in for an exclusive to meet the new team. And he walks in and sees Spider-Man hanging on the wall. And he goes, what is he doing here? And they do this long back and forth with Jonah about how, he has proven himself time and time again you need to treat him with respect and they go back and forth and they even give him some leeway of going you will be the first to report our stories we will give you exclusives leave spider-man alone and jonah says i will think about it and he immediately leaves and writes a scathing article about every single member of the new avengers and it just blasts everybody away and peter parker at that point is so used to it he goes I told you this was going to happen. <laughs> it's, it's one of the, and I, I'm not doing it justice. You should see the panel art of just Jay Jonas stone-faced as every one of the Avengers is looking down at him and going, this is how it is. And he will not relent because that's what he believes. Again, like James says, one of the most interesting characters in comic book history. Hmm. 
So, um, should we go more into the history, James? I, 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 yeah. my next, my next notion is 1965. I don't know what you have. If well, you have anything uh, between 62 and 65. So, I mean, well, like I said, it was a hit from the beginning and immediately they were like, we got to start getting this everywhere. Right. I mm -hmm. mean, Fantastic Four was selling well, but then all of a sudden, what if Spider-Man met the Fantastic Four? So one of the early crossovers, Spider-Man has all those failings of a teenager. He has all those failings of a working class family teenager mm -hmm. and so his uncle ben gets killed we all know the origin do i need to do a two-hour origin summary no. Oh, no no <laughs> we don't need to go into you the, know the best thing about homecoming was no uh, origin we, yeah we went ahead we knew the origin <laughs> that point. but anyway so so you know obviously his, his and that was one of the best things about the batman too because if it didn't it would have been another hour long oh my and it was God, already torturous the way that it was i'm sorry dc fans I know I argue with somebody, but they made him. They finally made him a investigator or a crime. I was like, I don't. I God, it's just bro. Um, just focus on the one thing that they did right, not all the other. <laughs> but God, so, so two. Uh, you know, so they end up having him meet the Fantastic Four. Yeah, but when he originally approaches the Fantastic Four, if you ever read the issue, the first meeting, you know, he he breaks in effectively to prove to hit them how good he is because he thinks they get paid. I mean, Reed Richards makes his money because of he, he's a scientist and he's an expert and they, you know, Ben Grimm's a test pilot and all that stuff. And so when he gets there and goes, what, you risk your life and you still get nothing for it? And I mean, he already had, had the great power, great responsibility experience, but he was like, oh, wait a second. I still have, you know, he can't tell him I've got to take care of Aunt May. Aunt May's going to lose her house. She needs her medication. She needs, and, and she's the only person I've got left. So he tries to join the Fantastic Four because he thinks they can pay him. And I think those sorts of storylines are very, very interesting. Again, if you put them in the, the time period, 1950s, obviously we're over, but there's an entire documentary about how the 1950s, the reason we saw a lot of teenagers in films is that's when teenagers started to have a little bit of money. They had a little bit of independence the war was over there was more cash flowing toward younger people you get a you know you get a job right. at the five and dime and so this kind of parallel by the time we get to the 60s of well you know what does that mean when the money starts to dry up when things do start to tighten up again and spider-man was also a commentary on all of that and so spider-man ends up doing other it gets pulled into a lot of series and we know now there's you know four or five different spider-man comics every month but that was kind of unique at the time. Marvel all of a sudden realized, oh, we can do Marvel team up where it's just Spider-Man meets blah, 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 and do it once a month, once every two months, and it'll sell. So anyway, go ahead, Chad. No, I was just going to talk about 1964 um, in Amazing Spider-Man 14 is when we saw the creation of probably his version of the Joker. If Spider-Man has a Joker, it would be the Green Goblin. Yeah, because he's, he's, I mean, throughout comic, Spider-Man comic history, he has, quote unquote, much like the Joker, died and came back All and right. just hounded him at every turn. This is where I'm going to stop you. And before we started, I said, I'm going to ask some stupid questions and bear with me as we go through this, because I want to be the guy that represents the people who don't know as much as me. So this is where I get confused. Technically, the Hobgoblin came first. Or the Green Goblin? Uh, I think it's the Hobgoblin. Which one came first in the comics, gentlemen? 
Green Goblin, I think Green Goblin was first. Um, and, and so... But you all don't know for sure. I know, I'm pretty sure, because Amazing Spider-Man 14 is pretty early on in that run. Mm-hmm. Um, because... Who was his first villain? Do you guys know? Bob Goblin didn't get created until 1983. Okay, cool. Thank you. So, yeah. So, yeah, the cartoon because... is a little misleading from the 90s. Yeah, yeah, no, the cartoon follows some of the car- the comic book story arcs, but it 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 does change things a lot just yeah. to fit that 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 overall theme. So, is the green who is his first villain? Does anybody know? I mean, the first villain and who briefly comes back is the guy that killed Uncle Ben. Okay. I mean, because he does come back and eventually he dies. Mm-hmm. Now he is a character that died and has stayed. Nobody's ever wrote that comic. You know, guys, what we should do? Let's bring back the guy that killed Uncle Ben. Well, they bring him yeah, back every I mean, damn time that they do a reboot. I mean, if you want to get last one, if you want to get into the specifics of like the 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 the, the villains with superpowers, the first uh, uh, Spider-Man villain was the Chameleon. He had premiered in March 1963. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, and, and it was in the initial issue of the Amazing Spider-Man. Okay. So, the Green Goblin. What makes him so interesting? Has he always been Harry Osborn, or uh, well, it's Norman. Norman, Norman Osborn, Norman, and then sometimes Harry. Yeah, right. And so, I think there's so, actually there's actually a couple more people thrown in there as well. So, uh, so, so originally, you want to know the origin of what the yes. Green Goblin was going to be, Jeff? I think our audiences want to know all these things, these obscure it, things. It was going to be a monster. It was not going to be a human in a costume. So originally, stands right up which Ditko said, nah, let's not do that, was it was going to be about a, a movie crew filming a, a horror movie on location in Egypt, and they open up a sarcophagus because we all know movies are actually filmed in the pyramids for, for mummy movies. Uh, I, mean, I mean, you got to go on location sometimes. And uh, they open it up, and there's a mythological demon, the Green Goblin, inside. They release it, and Spider-Man has to deal with it. Well, you know, Steve Ditko, I would say, arguably correctly, goes, whoa, 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 whoa. That's a lot to introduce, in, especially that early in Spider-Man. We haven't dealt with the supernatural yet. He's still dealing with petty thieves and, like, the chameleon. It's a guy that, he's an actor. You know, he's not going toe-to-toe with cosmic horror. And so they, you know, they, they changed it up effectively. Uh, and so when the Green Goblin debuted, we did not know who he was. Right. That was actually part of the mystique. We didn't know, oh, that's that's Norman Osborn right there. It was just, oh, my God, there's this guy go, coming after Spider-Man. And so I'm just glancing at my notes. And know, by the way, by the way, the, the creature element of Green yeah. Goblin being a creature, that would be revisited in the Ultimate Spider-Man series where they basically turn Green Goblin into a giant goblin monster, which, in my opinion, was a bad call. So how close is the Raimi movie to the original of him just doing the super serum or whatever it is of Norman Osborn? Well, it was so, so it, I mean, it really did start as his representation of his paranoia or whatever. So some of that is pretty accurate. Now, how, how he got to that point. One of the things that, and this is actually, uh, as Joe said, the, the history gets distorted, but yeah. well, both and, Stanley and the comics keep redoing them. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and then all of a sudden you find out what about this? Like 
Right. Spider-Man, you, you mentioned earlier, Spider-Man, his power, you know, it depends on the movie. Well, yeah. as Chad also said, it depends on the comic. And they've even addressed that in the comics. I mean, there's been storylines about, you know, Spider-Man's strength depends on who needs it, right? I mean, there um, used to be, when I was a kid in the 80s, about every third Spider-Man comic, he would be beat down, which is another reason that I love the character. He got beat. You'd see blood coming out of his face, and then he would be under something. And then he would start, basically, I, I refer to it as the chant, you've got to do it for Aunt May, you've got to do it for Mary Jane, you've got to do it for X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And then he'd kind of come back. He would make himself, he'd force himself to right. get through it. And uh, matter of fact, that's even made fun of, Spider-Man once crossed over with Powdered Toast Man from Ren and Stimpy. I have the comic, it's great. Because there's an entire scene where Spider-Man's beat down, he's actually, the entire building has fallen on him, and he, he starts going through it, you gotta do it for Aunt May, you gotta do it for Mary Jane, you've gotta do it for, and, and the panels just keep going, until you gotta do it for little Timmy, who met you once in the Dollar General, and he really needs you to get up, man, and then he finally comes back, and he actually says, man, that took more this time, I must be really beat up. <laughs> um, it's a great scene. But, um, so, the, the story that they do agree with Stanley and John uh, Ramita Sr. John yeah, Ramita Jr. Yeah, is, is yeah. Uh, an artist as well. But they both agree and they both remember it the same. Stanley said, okay, if we're going to do this as a human character, it has to be somebody he knows. We don't have to reveal it right away, but eventually it has to leave out. So this is a quote directly from Stanley when they were talking about it. Uh, Steve Ditko. Uh, Steve wanted him to turn out to be some character that we had never seen before because he said in real life, very often a villain turns out to be somebody you just never knew. And I felt that would be wrong. I felt in a sense it would be cheating the reader. If it's somebody you didn't know and had never seen, then what was the point of following all the clues? I think that just frustrates the reader. Now, Lee does preface that statement by saying, I do have a poor memory, but Steve Ditko remembered enough of it similarly that he was like, yeah, that sounds fair. Yeah. Um, so eventually, we do find out in one panel. Right. And Spider-Man comics did this for a long time. It'd be the last issue of a panel. It'd be, it would be, you know, somebody would just take a mask off and reveal who they were. Scooby-Doo it, right? Mm -hmm. We find out that it's Norman Osborn. And that didn't happen until issue 37. So, by the way, do the math. One issue a month, introduced in issue 14. You waited Almost two years. Almost 17 years. Joe's not good at math, but almost two years to find out who this Green Goblin was. <laughs> I'm taking a picture of all of us, by the way. I need to do better with our social media. Keep going. <laughs> um, but anyway, so yeah, yeah. And then, by the way, Ditko left the series the next issue. Yeah, yeah. did you? Yeah, this caused it to fall apart. Do you know, are you going to go into why? No, no, go ahead, Chet. Okay, yeah, so I'm sick of listening to James. So Lee Please and do. Lee in 2017, Lee in 2017 basically said, um, like when they were revealing this, they had a big argument about who the character was going to be. Lee wanted it to uh, 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 Lee wanted it to be Harry Osborn, um, but Ditko said he didn't want it to be. He wanted it to be a character that basically nobody was really familiar with. Mm -hmm. uh, because and Ditko's argument was, well, in real life, the bad guy doesn't always turn out to be somebody you know. Mm -hmm. and and of course lee had the final say and that's what caused ditko to leave he just did not like that idea um and i also believe it that works really well i have to agree with steve on this one because it just works really well him knowing peter works 
Yeah. It just it does. builds tension. It, it's a whole other layer of drama. Right. You know, you have the Batman and the Joker who Batman, Joker doesn't know who Batman is. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's, it's just, those are two agents of chaos. I mean, it's just, one's an agent of, or, one is a order, the other is chaos. Watch them clash. Yeah. These are two people who are the same thing, but there's the personal rivalry of, I know who you are. You're my son's yeah. friend and you're fighting me at every corner. I'm going to destroy you. It's, it's, and, and, and the lengths that they both will go to to address that. I mean, the Green Goblin in some ways is more terrifying than the Joker because, well, I guess they are, they are a lot alike in that he'll just take what you love and he'll, he'll do whatever it takes to, to get to. I mean, killing, killing Gwen Stacy is probably one of the most important storylines in comics. I mean, because when Green Goblin basically commits to, I'm going to kill Gwen Stacy. Yeah. I'm going to take away the person you love, the person you thought you were going to marry, the person that you thought might give you that normal life. And I'm going to take it. And then you're going to have to make a choice. And that was in 1973 in, in Amazing Spider-Man number 121. And after the character was killed, Gary, or is it Jerry Conway? Jerry Conway, yeah. Jerry Conway, the writer of that story, actually started getting death threats. Yeah. Really? For killing, for killing Gwen Stacy. Because she was such a, and that's the problem is now, well, with the exception of the Amazing Spider-Man briefly, Gwen Stacy's kind of, now, well, now she's Spider-Stacy. She's, she's Ghost spider spider stacy whatever you want to call but it's her another now. universes right it's, it's another... another universe but up until recently she's kind of been a forgotten character but back then in 1973 they killed off spider-man's love and it sent fans into an uproar yeah but what well, because it was the one thing he had right i mean he was still a struggling student yeah. he was still trying to do everything and the one thing we finally you know it was the one gwen stacy and aunt may it was the two things he had that he could go back to and that let him just be Peter and then none of it mattered. It was yeah. all taken away. And and I, to that point, though, Joe, speaking of, of, of Green Goblin, yeah. Conway is also the one that said, well, let's go ahead and make Harry Osborn the new Green Goblin. And actually fans responded to that pretty directly because they went, yeah, he's way creepier than his dad was. Yeah. <laughs> Which tells you a little bit about how they wrote that character. But yeah, it doesn't work in the movie, but it worked in the comics. Well, it works in the comics because Norman Osborn in the comics is such a he it's a little bit it shows a little bit in the movie, but he's brilliant. He's a genius. Matter of fact, I think in some ways, um, No Way Home does a great job of showing it when that the little ex, the little interactions between octavius Otto octavius and norman osborne they're both brilliant right but norman osborne has a cruelty to him when he yeah. needs to that that doc ock doesn't have right and and so this kind of back and forth that we see uh, of what it means and so to think about if you were raised in an environment where if you weren't number one yeah, yeah. Uh, tomorrow from the epic film title Dega Nights. If you're not first, you're last. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, even your father goes, you know, your friend Peter's better than you. He's smarter than you. 
He's even though he's a nerd, he's more capable than you. And you've grown up in that environment, but that's still your friend. But then when all of a sudden you snap and you start taking the serum, yeah, it's going to make sense that, I mean, that's why Harry Osborne in some ways was more terrifying. Plus he was young. And also he was, it, it was it, your age equal. And it didn't work in the movies because it was James Franco. Yeah. James Franco is miscast as that. Oh. Probably fine as the friend at the beginning, but it doesn't work. Um, so I, I want to take a brief detour off Green Goblin because we jumped to 1973. I want to jump back to 1967. Only five years after the character was created, do you all realize that they uh, got we got the first animated series for Spider-Man, which gave us the most important, one of the most important theme songs ever. Spider-Man, Spider-Man. And I By think it's way, extremely important, Chad, because my, the, the, I mean, a four-year-old can sing it. Yeah. And it was also it was also used in one of the most popular movies of all time, Biodome. Anybody the, remember that? Anybody remember that? Polly Shark was Iron Man, Iron Man, and then um, oh God, what's his name? Ghostbusters. Dan William Atherton corrects him and goes, "You're thinking of Spider Man." <laughs> By the <laughs> way, hilarious. Real quick, do, 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 the thing about that is, it's that song is remembered. Yeah, but there were other Marvel cartoons. My my father used to really enjoy the Tony the Iron Man one, right? Tony Stark it makes you feel he's a cool exec with a heart of steel. He's also Iron Man. Uh, I mean, there were a lot of those cartoons. Spider Man's the one that's remembered. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, nobody, nobody, you didn't get an Iron Man reference to the Iron Man theme song from the 60s cartoon or late 60s, early 70s cartoons. That didn't happen. Thor also had one over the rainbow bridge of Asgard, where the booming heavens soar. You'll behold in mighty wonder the god of thunder, mighty Thor. I have the cartoon, uh, but they were from the late 60s. So Chad's absolutely right. I mean, these were yeah. cultural catch ons quick, even though yeah. it took us forever to get a good movie. And, and that that Spider-Man show lasted three seasons, for so I mean it was in it was on TV for three years, just busting out cartoons on Spider-Man. So it was a success. Mm-hmm. Um, and James, do you have anything else you want to talk? Because I'm going to jump to 1974. Real quick, uh, Joe, that you may find this interesting. What? You ask about his early villains. So as Chad said, the Chameleon was first, then the Vulture. That was Amazing Spider-Man Two. We get the Vulture. Yeah. And the oh. vulture originally, despite being played by Michael Keaton, was a late 60s, early 70s, effectively a cat bird. Yeah. Um, who, again, though, was a brilliant scientist. Spider-Man always fought scientists. So not like in the movie. No, no. Uh, Spider-Man 3, we do get Doc Ock. So we literally, first three issues, Chameleon, Vulture, Doc mm-hmm. Ock, they're knocking out of the park. Spider-Man 4, Sandman. Yeah. Spider-Man 5, Doctor Doom. It's the first crossover with the villain from Fantastic Four. Spider-Man 6, you get the lizard. Uh, the least known, here's one that you're not going to know, Joe, I'm, I'm assuming. I don't mean to count you out. No, no, it's, it's fine. It's one that I very rarely remember. So, issue 7, we skip because Vulture comes back. Issue 8, they introduce the Spider-Man villain, the Living Brain. As opposed to all the dead brains that we deal with every day. Um, that, I've actually actually never heard of that one, so that was a new one on me too. Uh, it's, it's in issue eight. I don't think 
I don't think you're going to see the living brain make too many comebacks. He, he's been in the comics since then. I think he was reused a couple times. Uh, but then we get to uh, Spider-Man 9. Amazing Spider-Man 9 is when you get Electro. And then we're going to start kind of fading down. You do get uh, a supervillain team he fights, which nobody remembers, though they have also appeared a couple times since. That would be the Enforcers. They are a leader. They're basically circus actors. The leader is Big Man and his minions, and let me name them, Montana, Fancy Dan, and Ox. And so they're basically circus performers who think they can just tie him up, rope him, kind of, kind of a, uh, kind of a Wild West sideshow act. Uh, but then, thirteen, we get Mysterio. Yeah. And fifteen, we get Craven the Hunter. Then we get Weird again. This is actually a team that went on to fight, oddly enough, Ghost Rider and several other people. The Circus of Crime. Uh, um, Every comic book has to have a clown-based, circus-based criminal organization. I don't understand it. When were it, circuses it's, this popular, by the way? It's, well, a, it's never an entire, in our lifetimes. Yeah, it, it's an entire commentary on carnies, is what it is. Well, and it's the 1960s. I mean, that was your thing. You would go to the circus, I guess. Yeah, and then so real quick, rounding out his other early villains, we get the Scorpion. Yeah, we get. The Beetle, oddly enough, not used in in too many live action films yet, but pretty big in the comics, pops up quite a bit. And then actually going back to J. Jonah Jameson in issue 25, you get the Spider Slayers. And that was an interesting storyline. It's the first time J. Jonah Jameson gets so tired of dealing with Spider-Man, he puts forth money and says, I will fund anybody that can stop the menace. And so the Spider Slayers are these robots and these creations of... Um, uh, oh, I forget the villain's name that creates them. But anyway, they're robots that are created solely to to take away Spider-Man's uh, advantages. So they they're resistant to his webbing, blah blah blah, and they're supposed to take him down. And J. Jonah Jameson funds it all. And it's the first time he took a direct act to stop Spider-Man. And yeah. so those are the first fifteen supervillains Spider-Man fought from Amazing uh, Spider-Man one through 25 there you go joe yeah and i i lied i'm actually not going i'm i said i was going to jump to 1974 i'm actually going to stay in 1967 where we got the first animated series but i do want to talk about one of the more famous spider-man comic books uh it actually has one of the most memorable artworks of spider-man uh that would be spider-man number 50 uh and this is used quite a bit in spider-man uh number two the sam raimi one um, this is the, where Spider-Man decides to give up being, or Peter Parker decides to give up being Spider-Man. And if you know this comic book cover, it shows Peter Parker, uh, walking with his head down, um, as he's giving, he's just given up and a, a giant red, uh, version of Spider-Man behind him. It's one of the most popular comic book uh, covers in American history, in my opinion. It's just, it's one of those ones that comes to mind when you think of, of great comic book art um but yeah and it's it, it's like i said a lot of it is used for spider-man too he th he ends up getting tired of getting beat up so we throw and j jonah jameson's uh nonsense so he throws his his outfit into a trash can where some kid finds it gives it to j jonah jameson um you know you see all of this except yeah. in in spider-man 2 it's a the grown-ass man from a uh, simple plan <laughs> Another I love that introduction. Please let that the be best Sam, the actual best Sam Raimi movie. Yes. 
Um, and then, uh, and, but at the end, of course, by the end of that issue, he's back in his outfit, uh, becoming Spider-Man again. Um, also in 1971, uh, is when we got the six arm Spider-Man where he, he has a, a, um, he concocts a serum to detox all the spider junk out of his genes. Uh, uh-huh. you see this in the animated series, which we'll get into later on, but it essentially causes him to grow six arms. Uh, so that is one of the more popular images of Spider-Man is him with, you know, the six the 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 four regular arms outside of his costume um and he battles uh, the lizard and um uh, morbius duke it out to who gets to kill him and of course the lizard um in that comic book decides as the lizard does he's the joe james says uh what that uh green goblin and honestly they both are his green goblin's kind of the jekyll and hyde character but the lizard more is kind of more of the Jekyll and Hyde character because that's actually they actually conflict with one another because the lizard is this rampaging beast, but at the same time, sometimes Connors comes out and prevents the lizard from doing things horrible things. Um, so I am uh, we talked about Gwen Stacy dying. So now I'm going to jump to 1974. Unless James, you have something. No, no. I, I actually, I, I was wondering if your seventy four is going to inter, intersect with what I was going to talk for seventy four. So go ahead. I think okay. So you jump in with me. Nineteen seventy four. We actually get the live action debut of Spider Man. Yep. Um, that is a. It is perform. It is on the PBS TV show The Electric Company. Joe, do you know anything about The Electric Company? I mean, they charge me fucking every month. It was also hey, the, it was, you guys. It was also one of the most amazing. I'm, I'm it was familiar one of the, with the electric company, but yeah, it's one of the most. Well, it's one of the. It, it was one of the first acting jobs of one Morgan Freeman. Right, um, Morgan uh, Freeman. Literally, the cast on the Electric Company. Zero Mostel did 650 episodes. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, Bill Cosby did 260. I don't know if you ever heard of Bill Cosby, Joe. Look him up. Uh, no. Do it um, on your work computer. Did yeah, Fat make Albert, sure. Did, did Fat Albert appear on the Electric Company, or am I making that up? I, you know, I don't know that. I should know. Rita Moreno is the one that yelled, "Hey, you guys!" Originally, as a matter of fact, everybody think it happened in the beginning. It didn't actually. It didn't start until uh, she did um, on the 19th episode. So I didn't know that I know that much about Electric Company. I really was confused. I'm like, why is James quoting Goonies? Goonies. Yeah, no, it began it, from episode 19 forward, effectively. But I also want to mention because in 780 episodes, now some of them were reused footage, obviously, but you know, Mel Brooks was part of the Electric Company. Um, just the immense amount of talent: Carol Burnett, Lily Tomlin, Mel Blanc. All these people, Gene Stapleton, Dean Martin, I mean, they all popped up in the electric company. So if you're going to have Dean Martin, you have to have Spider-Man. <laughs> sure. I don't know. Literally, go back, Joe, go back and watch the original uh, Ocean's Eleven and ask yourself, now, what if it was Ocean's Twelve? And they were like, what do you think, Peter? <laughs> and then Spider-Man just webbed away. Think about it, that would have been a fun movie. Ocean's oh. Eleven meets Spider-Man. Watch it. I'd watch it. You'd and watch I will. It. I don't know much about this one either, James. I don't know if you do, but it also uh, because of the success of his appearances on the Electric Company, Marvel launched a new aimed at kids soup Spider-Man series called Spidey Super Stories. Yeah, I've got a couple issues of it, um, but they were really simple to read. They were to help kids learn to read, so they were aimed at younger population kids. But they still had. They usually featured characters from the Electric Company. Um, 
but yeah, it was just a way to to do that. And by the way, Marvel let them use Spider-Man for free. There was no, it was Marvel's goodwill project to help with public education. Huh. Um, so do you know what else happened in 1974 along with, uh, along with that, James? No, we were quick. Was Nicholas Hammond, did he play Spider-Man in the Electric Company and in the eventual show? Well, I'm, I'm making you, that up. Why don't you look that up while I while I while I talk about what else happened in 1974? Because I'm not sure about that, James. Um, also debuting in 1974. Yeah. The Spider Mobile. Oh yeah. It's a van, right? I mean, I remember the comic. No, it's a dune buggy. You're right. It's a dune buggy. Hold on. We were just ball at Disney. It's not a dune buggy. It's a dune buggy. Sure. All right, go back to your damn Spider-Man. Uh, uh, Peter Parker needed money in 1974, and Corona Motors offered him a handsome paycheck to drive around town instead of uh, instead of using his trusty uh, web lines. I should say this is from Looper.com. Um, Spider was able to return the car to Spider was a, unable to return the car to Corona because Mysterio tricked him into driving it straight into the Hudson in the in that very same new uh, comic book story so but, we did briefly get the spider mobile in 1974 by the way i, I want to say so the, the it was not played by hammond now hammond nicholas hammond would go on to play the live action spider-man in the spider-man series yeah which uh, we're going to be talking about in, next. in the um electric company he, it was played by danny segren s-e-a-g-r-e-n and so, from 1974 to 1977, Stegren portrayed the web slinger on the Electric Company. Now, the Spidey Super Stories, by the way, uh, some of them have really great covers, and I, I know we can't share it to where our fans can see it, um, but I'm going to post one in the chat for you all. If it'll let me post an image, we'll see. Um, it won't. But uh, there's a great one where it's basically saying we will do whatever it takes to sell comic or to sell, to get kids to read. And it's a, it's a picture. You, I'll let you all guess when it came out. These comics, Spidey Super Stories didn't have ads. in. They, they literally, it was all pro bono, get kids to read yeah. stuff. Um, but Joe, I'll, I'll let you guess what, what this may be alluding to on the cover. There is a, a, uh, bald woman. Yeah. Uh, who's kind of in a leaning pose and spider-man has his hands up like like so uh -huh. holding what seems to be a laser type sword mm -hmm. and dr doom is in the background almost in the shape of i don't know a shark cresting the water and it says spidey super stories star jaws why in the hell are they always ripping off Corman? Clearly, that's Battle Beyond the Stars. <laughs> it is, it's, it's Battle Beyond the Stars and uh, uh, Piranha. That's what oh, it is. It's yeah. uh, Star Jaws, Spidey Super Story, Star Jaws. That's issue thirty-one. If you if you feel the need to track it down and, and add it to your collection to celebrate your love of both Piranha and Battle Beyond the Stars. Right. Um, James Seven, do you have anything between that? No, go ahead. All right, so 1977 was a busy year for Spider-Man. Um, in 1977, a Spider-Man comic strip actually was ri written by Lee and illustrated by <laughs> Romita. Is it Romita or Ramada? I think I've always Romita. said Romita, but... It's, I've always said Romita, Romita too. Um, it premiered in the newspapers in January. Uh, the strip lasted 
Anybody want to know how long the, the, the newspaper comic strip lasted? 1997. I'm stabbing in the dark. Joe? Uh, probably till in the 80s. 2019. Well, the yeah. reason... So I have a story about that that I learned from Jim Shooter. <clears throat> One of Jim Shooter's first jobs was actually writing out the plot for the Spider-Man because they wanted... They wanted at this time, who was the editor after Stan? Because Stan was off in California doing the movie and the TV deals and all that. Was it Quesada? Because Quesada, by the way, just left. Because right? they wanted, and no, it was somebody in between him and Jim Shooter after Stan and then Jim. I can't remember who it was. There's, there's been several. Yeah. And that's how one of the ways him and uh, Stan Lee hit it off was because he could plot because Stan didn't want to write that much. He didn't really want to put that much effort. He didn't mind writing the dialogue, but he plotted out the actual, uh, the, he plotted out the plot. Sorry. Uh, sorry, real quick. Stan Lee, Roy Thomas, Lynn Wine, Marv Wolfman, Jerry Conway, Archie Goodwin, Jim Shooter. There you go. Those are the. I've met three of those people. Isn't Tom there... De... Then it went Tom DeFalco. And then 1995, they actually didn't have an editor. It's called, they actually refer to it as the year without an editor because they, they were having so many issues and so many different things going on that after DeFalco stepped down, they split it between five different people and said, just make it work. Yep. Um, so also in 1977, mm -hmm. as James mentioned, we got Nicholas Hammond starring in The Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, it lasted... 13 episodes spread out over two seasons. Uh, ratings were decent, though. Uh, however, uh, the Incredible Hulk series came out of around that same time, and it ran for 80 episodes. So it was a little bit more successful than the actual Spider-Man. And I have you all watched the live-action Spider-Man series? Because even as a kid, I hated it. No, I haven't watched it ever in my life. I've seen snippets of it. You know, I've seen stupid memes from it, but I've never actually watched it. I have watched it. I remember I liked it well enough as a kid. The problem was, even as a kid, like probably, I think when I was about 10 years old, usa before the sci-fi channel launched every summer they would do oh here's what we could get cheap yeah <laughs> you know and so it was cartoon express and then they would say the here's, express here's some crap we didn't have to pay much for but it will distract you long enough to so see your parents won't beat you and they did spider-man one summer and me and my brother watched it all and even then though i was like oh man he goes to shoot a web and it literally would cut to somebody obviously throwing a rope or throwing a net and it was, you know, they didn't have a budget. They couldn't do it the way it needed to be done. But I, I actually liked Hammond in as, as trying to be that character. It's just so limited in so many different ways. But, yeah. So as we do the history of Spider-Man, I was just talking to Chad Moon message. We probably need to, we're, we're going to have to part, break this up into a two-part. Yeah. Let's finish 1970, and then yeah. we'll, we'll start out at night. So I do 1980, want to right? Yeah, we'll start at 1980. I do want to mention one other thing that happened the next year in 1978. So we remember that, that cheesy live action. We remember the animated. But what a lot of people don't know is that in 1978, Japan jumped in on the success of Spider-Man and created their own version of Spider-Man. Now, the thing about the Spider-Man in Japan is it is related to nothing did they the license it or did they just steal it? No, they licensed it. 
okay. um, I believe. Um, but the, so it wore the same costume as, as Spider-Man, but that is where the similarities end. So not only is it, uh, so I'll just read a quick synopsis. Uh, young motorcycle racer, uh, Taiyuki Yamashiro sees a UFO, UFO falling to earth, a space, a space worship named the Marveler. Um, it, his father is killed upon finding the spaceship. The incident also attracts the attention of Professor Monster and his evil Iron Cross army, an alien group that plans to rule the universe. Um, they find an they find an alien who's uh, the last surviving warrior of Planet Spider, a world that was destroyed by Professor by, that was actually destroyed by Professor Monster and the Iron Cross army. Uh, explain uh, the, the the alien goes on to explain that. Uh, she needs someone to carry on the fight and he injects Takura with some of his own blood. The blood of a person from Planet Spider gives him spider-like powers um, and he, then, he is then given a bracelet from the dying alien that can activate his spider protector costume, shoot web lines and control the Marveler ship which also transforms into a giant robot called Leopardon <laughs> using, his using, his using his powers Taikuya fights Professor Monster's army and other threats to Earth under the name Spider-Man. So yeah, you have Spider-Man as a Power Ranger, essentially. Basically. Um, and honestly, if you look at some of the episodes, he's actually a pretty cool character. The costume they use for the Japanese version, I think, supersedes the Nicholas Hammond version. The costume actually looks pretty cool. But um, but yeah, the, the, it's just ridiculous some of the some of the stuff they do with the character because it is nothing like Spider Man. Uh, he's, he's an alien who fights who has a giant robot named Leopardon. <laughs> so there you go. That's the end of part one of Spider Man. Anything else to add to that, James? No, no, I've got a complete rundown ready for the 1980s. So. All right. 1980s, ni 1980s, 90s, and beyond for next episode. And the movies. We'll get to the movies after then in the next episode, too. So thank you so much. This has been Bonehead. Please share the crap out of our Spider-Man. Uh-huh.